A quick thank you to the T5 peeps, Bob the Dragon, Data Magnet, Cat Crab Lobster, Dark Machine, Estrella the Dreamer, Mesic, Pudic Yol, and Casper Arnholtz. Thank you very much. Alright, another day, another form of time travel. I'm recording this on Friday, you're going to be listening to it on Monday. You know, forward time travel stuff. Anyways, you know the drill by now. On to the story. Why did it have to be a human? Part 6. Jason oversaw the last transport, carrying his tiny friends talking onto the desert ship. Almost good enough to relax. But for now, he was pumped up with combat epinephrine produced by surgically implanted nodules. Nanites swimming all over his bloodstream and around his organs, all trying to effectuate hopeless repairs. The last mine had flash-cooked his intestines and stomach, something which would probably kill a normal human from shock. The pain receptors had been dialed down to the lowest possible setting short of turning them off, and yet Jason could feel the numbing pain radiating from his core. It was like sitting in a shower and letting the water flow around. His biomon was frantically calling for him to seek medical attention since there was only so much the suit systems could do for him. And even if the organs were not part of the bare minimum to keep him alive, their extensive damage would mean necrosis and eventually sepsis. In short, a less than positive prognosis. And yet he had a duty to perform. Showing weakness would only get everybody killed. There was one card he could play, but it was risky. If they called his bluff, there would be very little chance to get out alive. One of the lizards, Jason, was not sure which. He had not bothered to tag the rank and file, opened the hatch door and reflexively flinched before gaining some composure. The last of the taxon filed out just behind him. The sense of relief washed over Jason. Finally, all the little guys were off the rank. One of the taxons shuffled over to his side with the help of two attendants. This was Seneca, the second in command, and now by rights the first. In spirit, he's captain, albeit he had no such command structure. It spoke with a broken voice, full of sorrow and pain. It was clear that the deaths of so many affected her dearly. I said to the Undertaker, Undertaker, please drive slow. For the lady you are carrying, Lord, I hate to see her go. Oh, I followed close behind her, tried to hold up and be brave, but I could not hide my sorrow when they laid her in the grave. Jason nodded in understanding, but he had no words which would alleviate the pain. Still, the software dutifully tried its best to find a response from the vast library. It presented Jason with several choices, as well as approximate meanings and context. And for the current situation in relation to the previous linguistic interpretation of the Taxon's home song choice. From the list, Jason picked what he felt was the most appropriate. Sometimes grief was all that one could feel, and that was okay. Into each and every life some rain has gone to fall, but too much of that stuff is falling into mine. And into each heart some tears gonna fall. And I know that someday the sun is bound to shine. Balsin glanced over at the monitor display showing the demon. Blood painted its suit like some horrid nightmare. It walked about with steps too heavy for its frame. And rolling thunder announcing death was near. The stench of battle clung to him like a princely clock. Impossible to scrutinize. Damage could be seen. No matter what the youngsters believed, humans were not invincible. And this one had taken enough fire to decimate lesser beings. On the other side, another monitor displayed a number of troops left. A pitiful amount compared to the original lot. The prince would be executed for such a failure, and Falsen was sure to follow him to the chopping block, unless he could come up with something of value. He rubbed the muff of hair on the back of his head, trying to think it is law. He could barely believe that a human centurion had been near him, and that on top of that, he had come out relatively unscathed. However, Perillia and her loyal troops were in charge, and if anything were to happen, it was under her claw. Falsen had no problem with the female in power, but he had an issue with a smart one. That would make it harder to be an unseen hand. Still, 
He knew what to do in the winds of change. With a flick of his wrist, he called up the comm system and saw that one of the two idiots that tried to shoot themselves was an engineer. Good. He could use them. Specialist Hakil, if you are done tucking your worthless tail, I have an assignment for you. How well do you know human systems? The first punch felt good. Teeth hit the deck. The knuckle ended up cracking under the force with which it had been exerted. And yet, the unarmored hand did not protest. A backhanded slap put forth in its place, groveling upon the deck, bleeding profusely from a broken snout. Several teeth missing, his words lost on the barely garbling noises of his swollen tongue could make. It would be easy to step on his neck and end it right there with a righteous fury. Beryllia wanted to do just that. But they needed him alive for a moment, though all the ship was not going anywhere. Marcos was done. None of his former crew would lift a single digit for him. He deserved nothing but hate. The human was different. She resented him for getting comrades, for being a brute. But like a hurricane rather than a living being, he was a force of nature. It held no emotion for that which rendered upon them. They had been at a wrong place at the wrong time. She could resent the human, but she could not hate it. She took a rag from one of her sentries and wiped her hands with the filth that was Marco's blood. Make sure this idiot does not choke on his own blood. Without looking back, she made her way to the bridge, where Falsalyn sat overlooking the computer reset. The old scales was up to something, but he could be trusted to look out for his interests, and right now, that meant survival. Looking around, she saw that he was keeping an eye on the human. Perillium had wanted to have a chat with it, but found herself trembling and hesitating even. Such a reaction to a digital image was shameful. Before anyone could pick up on that, she barked questions to the engineers, who assured her the computer was taking in the story of Marcus being incapacitated by injuries. Obviously, he had programmed a failsafe in such an eventuality. The bad news was it only allowed the ship passage back to home space, and the human had been very clear that he wanted the taxon delivered to a friendly station. What a headache. But thus fell the sword of command. This was her responsibility. With an audible groan, she raised her chin at Falsen, and unspoken was often louder. The old scales smiled, politely so, but it was there, the way his mouth curled up, just the right amount. He had something she needed, and thus he had value. She saw him wave an arm and look at the window. She could call a log of those and see exactly what he had done. But with correct suspicion, she knew that whatever information she got would be doctored. He looked back at her and raised two digits, mouthing the word days. She could stall for that long. The question was more about how the human would react. Who was unimportant enough to deliver the bad news? Her list of personnel was rather limited. She called it up and saw a name near the bottom, a female. Worthless enough that when the human killed her for delivering bad news, it would not be a great loss. Being a courier on a ship was not an assignment of great desire. In fact, it was most certainly a punishment. Kale did recently try and shirk her duties by trying to kill herself, unsuccessfully. Of course, the gun was programmed to stop such an action, but the fear, chaos, and overall lack of command had driven Kale to such a dark mental state that she had not reasoned well. Not that it mattered. She was tasked to deliver a message physically. No ship ever needed that, with some exceptions. It was almost always punishment, and it always ended in the same poor state, with a very, very dead courier. No one wanted to hear bad news albeit female couriers did tend to fare better and for longer. Lift your tail and wag your hips in a pleading way. Maybe your voice recently got an octave higher too, and you may just get out alive. No such luck for her though, for unless the human found a blue six-foot-tall lizard with pink eyes cute, she would probably be strangled. And from what she had read, some humans were averse to her species because they resembled the series of reptiles that some humans were terrified or disgusted by. No amount of tail wagging would fix that. 
She had heard that humans enjoyed candling, but a human was clad in armor. No, that was a sunny idea. It was best to get it over with. Maybe she would only get a light beating. Humans were, after all, supposedly not cruel. She opened up the hatch to the mesal and saw half a dozen taxon heads turned to face her. These were a pitiful species, with no combat ability whatsoever, and so small, too. Kayo could strangle any of them with a tail, or decapitate them if she built enough momentum. At the end of the room sat the human, still like some odd installation, unmoving like a statue of old. An ancient foe etched in marble, an idealized version, just a representation of a battlefield horror that sat there, impassive and uncaring of the world around it. Kale felt a tightness in her chest. It was that sense of despair again, some force held her body in place. She couldn't take another step closer. In her mind, she saw the bloodstained walls once more, and she wanted to scream, but found that fear had robbed her of a voice. Her biomon administered a mild sedative and a blood thinner, and she started to feel better in mere moments, regaining her composure enough to get closer to the human. To her surprise, it made no sudden movements. In fact, it made no movement at all. To Kale, the human appeared dead. Niyama was rigid, and it seemed that the occupant had gone limp. But was she right, or did humans simply sleep like that? Without a care of what happened around them, because the human could not see Kale as a threat, if that was so, then there was a rather unlikely chance of trying to kill the human when its guard was at its lowest. Trying to ascertain the mood of his near-mythical beast was impossible. The head was encased in a fully armored helmet, not a transparent nanoplastic composite like her own visor was. Kale surmised that the series of sensors and cameras over the suit provided the user with a synthetic battlefield view. Humans were good engineers. No wonder the Texans liked them. Um, hello, Humane. She pronounced the word with a query inflection. She was trying to be polite. Her linguistic module suggested that she use the term Endlosa Jaeger, but she refrained from attaching the tributes her people found admirable to the human. It could be perceived as culturally incompatible, and the last thing she wanted was her head lopped off because she said the wrong thing. As if waking up from a deep and dreamless slumber, the human stirred, its head moving a mere fraction of an inch, but clearly locked under Kale. She felt the weight of millions of years' worth of evolution bearing down on her. An apex predator was pouring its attention her way, and her instincts told her to run. That there was no way to win. As if to intimidate her further, the armored halberd slid and moved plates around, and the clear visor allowed her to see the human face staring at her, with relentless eyes full of voracious intent. Ah, uh, um... I come to inform your graciousness that we will, uh, unfortunately be delayed for, for two standard days, as the computer system is uh, repurposed to uh, obey us and not the prince. Gale stood there, waiting for a backhand slap that would break her jaw and surely lead to a severe concussion if she was lucky. But it never came. Instead, the human spoke with a steady tone, betraying nothing, like a statue coming to life. I will use your medical room. Have it prepared, blue-tailed one. Kale nodded profusely and bowed as she walked backwards and out of the room. Why had the human mentioned her tail? Were humans lewd? It did not matter. This is good news. She was unharmed. End of chapter. Alrighty, it's Monday. For me, at least. For you, not so much. Oh, maybe. I suppose it depends on when you watch this. Meh, yeah, that's a concern for another time. And another... Well, no, same place, but you know what I'm saying. Anyways, new merch, check it out. And on to the story! By the time Paulson entered the engineering compartment, there was already a heated discussion going on. Hakuo had hunched over trying to remove a nano-precursor canister and the acting chief engineer was giving him a hard time about it. Listen, we need those for the ship repairs. You can't just use up everything we have. Hakuo curled up his tip tail in an obscene sign, 
and before allowing the situation to scale into a major issue, Volson stepped in. What's the problem? he asked. Even though he had heard it was in his nature to take control of situations with small psychological tricks. Merist, the acting chief, huffed. We need the precursor material for repairs and to make any replacement parts and or tools. And this complete fool is trying to use it all up. She pointed at Hakil, who had just successfully removed the last canister. He looked up to Paulson. It's what you want, boss, he said nonchalantly. Paulson rubbed his temples in annoyance. Do you absolutely need everything? I only asked for enough nanomachines for an infiltration job. Hakil was tapping on a tablet, not even looking up. An act of defiant. But honestly, he was just trying to keep calm. His AI assistant was forced to administer anti-PTSD drugs due to the human incident. The chemicals made his hands shake. Look, stealth nanites are not exactly standard factory templates, and I'm building and slapping together blueprints here. We don't have an advanced nanofoundry nor a CPU for ultra-precise construction. Under the best circumstances, one of these canisters can make a few trillion nanites. But in our current state, to make a few thousand stealth ones, well... It's a lot more room for error. And that obviously meant a lot more material would be used up in its construction. So a terrible attrition rate. No different than mining. For every square meter of dirt, you could only get so much thorium. Ah, so there is no possibility of reserving even one canister. Volsen asked with a half-hearted hope. He was no engineer, but he knew when it deferred to those that had knowledge outside his own. It was one of the reasons he was still alive having served a few princes by now. Hakil shook his head, tail slapping the neck. No, if what I read about human suits is true, we have a lot to overcome and the information in our database is out of date by 200 cycles. With a sigh, he continued. For example, the internal structure of a human suit is on a nanoscale layer of what I can only describe as spikes. It will shred any nanites that pass by it, eventually opening a hole but not before damaging any intrusion attempt by sheer attrition. Then the modulated electric pulse washes over the spikes, checking for damage on the surface. We'll have to make our stealth nanites make it look as if the spikes are still there. It's a nightmare, it's barbaric, but it's an ingenious design. Hakil was actually impressed by the human machination. It was, in essence, a physical system, not an AI dependent, but the problem was that its simplicity was not normally encountered. Much more advanced systems were usually employed by other species, like energy fields, counter nanomachines, electronic warfare, subspatial sensors, etc. But what did the humans do? <laughs> Pointy things killed nanites. If only we knew humans are such a problem, Paulson commented offhandedly, dismissing the current issue. Merist gave him a puzzled look. Oh, have you dealt with the demons before? She asked incredulously, for nobody survived those monsters, but she paused, and she had survived one, technically speaking. Falsen smiled, his teeth showing slightly, tails swaying side by side. Oh, do I have stories to tell? For example, did you know that the human vengeance is not a true account of events? Their planet is devoid of life, and well, by their own hand. Ferilia had her hands figuratively full at the moment, which included a ship of effectively seemed dead in space. A superior, currently in the brig, a mess hall full of taxon, and a particularly pissed-off human, free to move about the ship. No, and add to that the decimation of nearly the entire crew. She wanted to scream, keep on screaming until her vocal cord snapped, and then put a bullet in her skull. No one had signed up for a feck-up on the scale, no one ever signed up for fuck-ups, but that was beside the point. But you did not look miracles sideways. The human had graciously enough accepted the delay and asked to use the medical facilities. It struck as a sign of weakness if the human was so injured that it needed to heal. Then she could have him killed on the operating table, but it could not be so simple, because no enemy would simply just do that. The human had some backup plan, some leverage, it was but a play against the unknown opponent. Demons, them all. Who knew what tricks, nay, what horrors that they had yet to call upon? Food was an issue. 
taxon were obligate herbivores, and they also needed a specialized diet. Thankfully, Volson had convinced the prince of the merits involved in a contingency plan. Originally, capturing the taxon would involve taking their food to keep them alive during transport, however. Should any unprecedented scenario were to play out, they had rations. They were covered for about four standard days at present capacity. If they gave out full rations, Ferillium had already given out an order that it was going to be half rations. Falser, that slime-tailed backstabber, had what machinations did he hold, what tricks were yet to be played. Someone like him could not be trusted for long. But, paradoxically, he could be trusted to look after his own interests. Presently, that meant survival, and he had given a sign that he could neutralize the human within two days. With limited choices like those, her hands were tied. Still, maybe there was something to learn out of seeing what the human would do within the medical facilities. She saw that Falson was in the engineering section, probably taking care of the preparations to incapacitate the human. It wasn't much of a leap of logic to derive the general how. The armor. Some way to cause it to lock on the user, probably unlikely in a battlefield scenario. But with extended access to it like they had, well... There was only so much that defenses could withstand. If she applied that logic, her own armor had defenses and electronic countermeasures to prevent a hack, even with heavy jamming. So, that left some physical attack. Nanomachines. Nanodust storms were a rare battlefield tactic due to cost, but they could do a hell of a number on an unshielded armor. The human could not maintain the energy requirements, not to mention that it would seem overly aggressive. He had to have worked this out already. Was that the reason why he was heading for medical? To remove the armor and thus the one thing that could trap him? No. Unlikely. Humans were supposed to be formidable even without armor, but surely that was just propaganda. The sort of thing that you paid the Yerkish merchant to discreetly distribute. There was, however, one solution if the situation did present itself. On her way to the medical facility, she stopped at her quarters. The room smelled, the cleaning and service spots had not gotten into it yet. No matter what she needed, it did not need to be clean. There, on her desk, was a short, thin blade. The edge just one straight length of titanium, over a thousand years old. Many, six inches, but deadly all the same. What made it particularly suited for a purpose was the lack of any electromagnetic means, nor supersonic vibration. No heated edge, no gyroscopic compensator, no zero-g movement. Just a piece of metal, perfect for its dark purpose. Medtech First Class Raxalian had been given almost no warning about the demon using the medical bay. He had no prior experience with humans, and the ship was not equipped to handle major medical procedures. The proper data on human physiology was also sorely lacking, not to mention the proper drugs to comparable biochemistry. To add to that, from the report that he had skimmed over that the human had to have some extensive trauma, it was likely to die soon. Rexalian did not care what kind of stories the old scales told. Humans were not some invincible monsters that could not be felt in battle. All living things died, and Rexalian, that was an unshakable fact. He knew the human prayers, and the demons also knew this. If it bleeds, we can kill it. He recited for himself, breaking the quiet lull after the prayer and acting captain walked in. Borelia, and shortly after two taxon, hard to tell if juveniles or adults. They were sweeping the room with portable scanners, looking for, uh, weapons. The room was a self-sterilizing system. A complex series of subordinate machines, filters, cleaners, and aerosols did the job. You could come in with conceivably actual soil, and the room would do its best to clean you up. He was about to shoo away the tiny beings when he heard the steps, heavy like rolling thunder coming down the hill threatening a gale, which would swallow you whole. He looked up at Virelia, who, to her credit, kept her composure. He had already administered two doses of a sedative from his personal biomon. The demon walked in and needed to bend over in order to pass the doorway. The giant beast had arrived in Rexilian's world, and even though he was up to his eyes in combat sedative, his spear response seemed to spike. The armor had severe external battle scarring. From that alone, he could guess the occupant was not in good shape. The human spoke with a measured voice. 
common galactic language. It was being interpreted by the AI system to those present in different but subtle ways. So that I am clear and understood, if I die and murdered when I remove this armor, it is set to activate a Casimir Cascade self-destruct on its microfusion core. The resulting event, spatial rupture, will destroy the ship warning high-level threat message, species known for suicide and disregard of self-preservation when options removed. Braxillian saw Ferilia hide a piece of metal into her sleeve. Was that a primitive blade? Not that such questions mattered. The armor demon was leaving the protection of his suit. What came out of it was the stuff of nightmares. An inky black figure with no discernible features, as if someone had cut out a silhouette of a human on a back fabric and placed 2D representation in the sickbay. Using the room's sophisticated scanners yielded that there was a 3D mass of something in there, but it looked so wrong to biological eyes. The initial scan result collated 3 billion points of data and concluded that the light-absorbing material was present, currently absorbing 99.92% of the light in that particular space. Then, as if by the hand of an invisible puppeteer, the black surface rippled and pulsed, beginning to move with all the distinct sound of a nanomaterial changing shape, leaving in its wake a pale skin, finally revealing the human... The black mass gathered on its back and formed a solid hexagonal shape, a sort of container. The human was clearly injured. Raxelian could see the blackened skin, necrotic tissue on the abdominal area. Not a good sign, but the burns surrounding it were all wrong. Should have been third degree, but it barely looked like a minor friction burn. The human walked onto the orthodox table. My suit will connect and perform the procedure. You are welcome to observe. Surprisingly, to the point, not even a single language tag. From the readouts, the human skin was a mess on the affected area, but everywhere else was a work of art. The outermost layers were composed of carbon bucket tubes that responded to impacts as armored plating, with enough layers of low-velocity impacts would be completely negated. Abandon hope, all ye who punch a human to death. It was not going to happen. Curiously, there were sections of discoloration on the pectoral muscle area, but not bruising, too uniform, too complex a pattern. It took Raxillian a second to recognize it, seemed to be subcutaneous. It was a series of glyphs. The computer analyzed it as script, several thousand years old by human standards. It read SPQR Legio I Germanica, Centurio G34. An interesting marking, perhaps a part of a ritual for the human soldier. Just under that was a series of scaffolding layers of nanite set about to repair and remove dead skin cells, but this also proved to be a filter. Contact chemicals that were harmful would not affect the human. Raxillian had been reading on a compound called fentanyl. He had been hoping to dose the human with that, but no such luck. Tiny, almost imperceptible monowires flowed along the human hairs, a collective sensor net its capabilities unknown. Much more visible were the small bumps under the skin, subdermal plating nanoplast armor. That had taken a brunt of the damage, and yet the human was still being prepped for surgery. The human's armor closed up and took two steps towards the orthodox. Using a hardwired connection, Raxillian was unable to send commands, only observing now. Little things jumped out as curiosities, for example... Above the eyebrows, the human had two sets of three small red pips. A cursive scan revealed that they were light sensors. Speculative analysis declared that they were primitive secondary sight to augment movement detection. Behind both ears, a second set of pips was located. This would give the human situational awareness of its entire surroundings at all times. The actual human eyes had a number of augments as well, from microlight-emitting LEDs to a second set of eyelids with a reflective coating. It seemed that the humans were rather alright with so much nanotechnology on their bodies, as the orthodox began cutting around specific subdermal armor and a section lit up with internal structure information. Micromachines crawled all over the insides of the human, from the nanoscale to the ant-sized. The various models and types had all specific purpose. Some were meant to stem internal bleeds, others to filter out bacterial infections. A few were tagged as counter-antagonistic systems, instruction, intrusion detection, 
He was a veritable army with the explicit purpose of keeping the human fighting for as long as possible. In the subdermal layer, the human had a complex series of muscle fibers, thin strands not meant for mechanical work. The network was all over the body, and it took the computer system several minutes to determine the purpose. It was a secondary endothermic system. Holding a storage of adenosine triphosphate, it could in theory be used to warm up the body in extreme temperature for some time, depending on external factors. But more importantly, it also seemed capable of moving around the ATP to other locations on a per-need basis. Truly fascinating to see. Muscle tissue analysis revealed that specifically biofibers were woven into organic tissue. Its purpose seemed to provide scaffolding and a corridor system for the larger micromachines. An outer layer of the muscle tissue was covered in a mesh of same biofiber material. It was absolutely insane to the degree to which the human was modified. Beaver scans had the machine spitting out rows upon rows of modifications and systems that Rexalian had heard of. Nanofactories in the buns, nanohives all over the body, nervous controlled nodes, chemical processes, etc. The list went on and on. This human was rather a hard-to-kill opponent. Example, the bones were laced with a matrix of nanopass smart matter capable of reshaping itself, so a fracture would technically be repaired in minutes. Rexadian decided to concentrate on the operation and returned his attention to the ghastly procedure. The human was cutting its intestines out to form a bypass with the meshflex, a synthetic bioagnostic sheet used in burn victims. By wrapping it around the surviving halves of the intestine, he was performing an unsanctioned medical procedure. Well, his suit was doing it. The human had slipped into unconsciousness a few minutes prior. Then the stomach, almost completely flash-cooked, was cut out and bypassed. This sort of operation would mean the human could not consume proper food for a while. Three of the six kidneys were removed and the pancreas was given a shot of steroids and a cocktail of drugs that Raxilian would not have approved of in that combination. It was lethal. Necrotic tissue was being cut out and replaced with more mesh flex. The human systems of bucket tubes almost immediately started trying to extend themselves into the new areas. It seemed as if the lungs of the human could attach and detach on command capable of draining fluids into a bladder in case of emergencies and filled with toxin nanocarbon filter alveoli. They dumped the waste into a fast track of the intestines, and the modification was staggering. You could jump at any point in the body and find something interesting. For example, this human had symbiotic creature moving around in between organs, but the scans could not quite catch it. Oh, what could it be? At some points, it seemed to change structural composition and attach itself to organs. It was hard to get an accurate picture. So with a sigh, it was time to move on. Rexalian could probably spend the next few days going over the data. So many points of interest. For example, according to the literature, the human immune system was naturally highly adaptive. This was such from evolution alone. It had a myriad of specialized cells from a number of roles, including the elimination of cancerous cells, an immune system that was capable of killing cells of its own host. This species was truly all about death. But if this human was any indication, the species was not content with just that. The spleen was capable of producing custom phagocytes and lymphocytes with specific hunt-kill expression proteins. Coupling that with the messenger dendritic cells to distribute new blueprints to a distributed network of artificial lymph nodes and you had an organism that was virtually impossible to get sick. What passed for a heart was just a large muscle, brutish and covered in its own version of mesh flecks. A composite matrix of both nanoscale scaffolding and something close to a hundred ant-sized micromachines, all checking structural integrity, performing minor adjustments and potentially repair work. Raxilian was fascinated by the level of integration of technology and organics. Very few species were willing to do something like that. On the heart itself, there was a small nodule. At first, the machine thought that it was a defect or a tumor, but closer inspection revealed that it was an artificial structure for the production of stem cells and the storage of the fresh supply of cardiomyocytes. That was incredible. The amount of human blood in the operating compartment of the room was staggering, but not enough to kill the subject. 
A cursory check revealed that the human blood was heavy with oxygen-carrying nanites, as well as a suite of repair and defense of systems. The veins and arteries would be rerouted in case of a major breach. Not a particularly fast process. It would take nearly an hour for a proper bypass, but a quick job could be performed in minutes. By estimation, this human could operate with just 10% of its full blood volume. A horrifying thought. Just built for an extended battle. Who knew how many more augmentations were hidden from view? Rexilian relaxed when the Autodoc entered a recovery mode. The human would need the next 16 hours of rest. With that, he looked at Ferilia, who had grown increasingly distraught by the readings that she'd observed. Your blade is not going to kill that demon, he told her in the coldest voice that he could muster. She merely looked at him, and with a defected, defeated voice, she said, Why did it have to be a human? End of story. Alrighty. Uh, number eight, the last one. As of recording this, number nine has been released, but I won't be recording that in this batch. When there are a bunch more released, I will have a look and we might do this again for the next eight or ten. But for now, this is the last one, so cliffhanger until some other point in the future that may or may not happen. So, yeah. Anyways, on to the story. Hakil had just finished up using the last canister of Nano Precursor. Enough material over printing up pretty much all of the replacement parts for the ship. This would eat the entirety of profits gained from selling the Taxon if they succeeded in the suicidal plan. No, not plan. Half-baked idea based on centuries-old information. The only reason that there was even a sliver of a chance for it to succeed was because of how unlikely this particular situation was. Farcical, really. No human ever dreamt of being trapped in the enemy vessel without going on the offensive. Hakil had seen what had transpired on the vociferous prophet several cycles past. It nearly triggered PTSD episode, and his breathing became labored. Were it not for the drugs, he would be unable to work. Humans were demons, and this one bathed in blood. Hakil's hands shook as he entered the final commands. He extracted a small vial containing about 10,000 nanites, of which only about a hundred were stealth class. He was about to call for Falson when the treacherous tale showed himself. He was a knife in wait for an ample back. Boss, it's done already. There was a pride in Hakil's voice. He had completed the conversion in only 14 hours, with plenty of time to spare before the human woke up. Falson did not look happy at the news, teeth showing at the back. A rage kept in check. It came with age, Hakil supposed, and it was hard to use the drugs after the third age. Even so, those of high breed were trained in all sorts of disciplines. This might have been one facet. Not that Marcos ever showed restraint. Perhaps his lessons never took. Or he was a blood error, one that would be corrected once back in warmth of a home space. The old tail took the corner seat and rested with the grace of one much younger. Is um, something wrong? Hakil knew better than to provoke a strong reaction, but he knew that his superiors loved to be engaged like this. Falsen just moved his eyes to Hakil, a steady coldness warming in the yellow-red orbs, locking a gaze that for a moment seemed to size Hakil up as prey to be hunted. But just as quickly as they moved or tracked the small vial he held so strongly in his left hand, the beast wakes. We are late. I can't let him know. Those words fell on Hakil like the weight of a thousand suns. In shock, he merely stared at Falson. Seeing Falson make a move to get up, Hakil's heart raced. No, wait, think, I can, um... Hakil froze up as a normally sluggish Falson had crossed the room in a few seconds and now held a viral knife far too close for comfort. But seeing how he was still alive, he gulped loudly. This close, Falson's eyes were like beads of glass, dead, resigned to a course of action. Don't beg, were the only words that he uttered. Hakil managed to put his own words together. If the demon is still in sickbay, we can do it. We can. We can. We can. Really, we can do it. Please, 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 please don't do this. The knife retired a few inches. How? The word was raspy, like nails dragged across armored plates. Hakil counted his blessings and made a note to pray strongly to the sacred seven and the ancient bones. The decontamination system, we can use it to infiltrate the nanocloud. 
make it look like a normal overreaction of the system to external contamination on his suit's surface. They will hide the intrusion of the stealth nanites by sheer numbers. From there on, the same plan. I can adjust the parameters to deal with the human's own nanite countermeasures by sticking to suit systems only. For a tense, intermediate expanse of time that felt like centuries to Hakio, there was only increasingly exasperated breathing, breaking a deadly silence. The temperature in the room seemed to have dropped a few degrees, and Hakio was not daring enough to make any comments. After this eternity, Balsen sheathed his blade in one quick and silent movement, no doubt practiced hundreds if not thousands of times. A flawless execution without having to take his eyes off Hakio. Get it done! Bolson was not an eloquent mood, it seemed. Originally, the ship dispensed puffs of nanomaterial agents into the sickbay for sterilization of foreign contaminants, and that specific system had three independent backups with redundancies built in. You could not just mess with it on the fly. The sickbay computer would throw a fit, and that was to say nothing of what the environmental AI would be doing as releasing unsanctioned nanomachines into the ship's atmosphere could have serious consequences. The completely insane jargon species used specialized projectiles on their ship-to-ship -ship weaponry, each carrying a self-replicating swarm of nanodecomposers, all hell-bent on destroying a ship by any means possible. So you had to learn and fight fire with fire. It meant legions of security layers to prevent this very scenario. But those self-same layers were much harder to be applied inside a pressurized vessel of a ship. Organics lived there, and they needed to not have an overzealous anti-intrusion swarm trying to make its way into the breathing organs to blend them into a fine pink mist. This is why security protocols preventing messing with the sickbay dispensation of its very limited in-scope nanomachines. However, Marcus in his paranoia had those systems modified, likely to covertly assassinate injured crew members to increase the size of a cut from a successful raid. There were no signs of the specific kill nanites, but that did not mean that they could not be added on a moment's notice. This made Hakil's plan viable. There was no reason to suspect the tampering of the critical ship systems in order to create an attack vector. And even if such a suspicion was raised, the logical conclusion would be that there was not enough time to create an antagonistic nanos and modify said ship systems in time that was presented. The human had no feasible way to suspect something was amiss, as the environmental system spat an extra cloud of nanites. Hidden by a billion or so medical disinfection nanites was a party of about a hundred specialized stealth infiltrators. The fine mist-like cloud washed over the suit as Jason was climbing in. No alarms raised. The external surface of the suit was covered in an electric field strong enough to fry any nanites that could past its electromagnetic defensive barrier. Using the cover of several tens of millions of medical nanites, the stealth infiltrators made it to a knee seam. Using a careful and measured approach, they drilled into the suit, being sure to seal themselves in as they went. Of course, this action was not without risk, and the suit's sub-mind and charge of that particular armor section made a note of clinging medical nanites to its surface, sending a strong surge of power to clean them off. But as it found no more fault, it got filed away in a low-priority security report and sent up the chain. Eventually, it was elevated by the right-leg administrator's submind in an inconsequential and not pursued. Not that there was much more to investigate. It was a seamless entry with a rather tiny number of hostiles. It was calculated that for an effective attack on the Centurion's chute, you would need several septillions worth of nanocloud bellicose in order to overwhelm the defensive systems, and deploying nanoweapons on a scale on the battlefield was prohibitively expensive. It was the sort of stuff you reserved for the internal defense of military bunkers. As predicted, the internal surface was designed to shred trespassers and the energy pulses would scramble systems. This was expected, and about 20 stealth infiltrators sacrificed themselves to create a safe passage and to fool the suit system looking for the variants in the field. From there on, things were slightly easier, as there was a series of conduits that allowed for rapid disposal of micro-machines. With one ansize worker hijacked, the infiltrators were now on their way to the objective castle. S-67 Say, anyone else feel like we're in a Victor Hugo novel? S-25 
You mean because we have parallels between our current situation and the sewers under France in both the Hunchback of Notre Dame and the escape of Les Miserables. S-17. I rather say it's in a reminiscent of Operation Chariot. We are about to make the Bismarck useless after all. S-63. I do wonder why we are programmed with literary and historical knowledge of humans. S-23. Because know thy enemy? SI-25. Art of war, principal. When you are ignorant of the enemy, but know yourself, your chances of winning or losing are equal. So it is obvious that understanding humans and their culture is of benefit to us stealth infiltrators. SI-67. Yeah. But how? In what tangible way? I think we're losing sight of the mission the more we discuss humans. I mean, just look at number one. Complete human otaku. Obsessed. SI-17. I concur. I mean, our objective is obviously a reference to Castle Bravo. S-25. Could also be a reference to Takashi's castle and a futility of mission or a steep curvature of its inherent difficulty. SI-01. I'm not saying, but did you guys know about how even though there was at one point only one human superpower with nuclear armaments, it did not attempt to conquer the planet? SI-17. That's our answer. We're all overthinking at 25. SI-67. Because he has a larger processor, or wants to pretend he does. I say, if anything, the faulty one here is, um, someone? SI-63. That is the worst attempt at a pun that I have ever heard. SI-23. It is the only one you've heard. We're all new and heading into a suicide mission. SI-17. If enough of us perish, we can say that we are 47 Ronin, provided someone dies. SI-02. Are you guys planning an insurrection? Several seconds of calm silence. SI-63. So, why aren't they called ants? SI-23. The biological creatures or the artificial constructs that we're riding on. SI-63. Uh, both? SI-23. It's from German Amis, and even older from German meaning the bitter. Humans are not exactly poets when naming things. The construct sort of looks like a legionary ant. I'm sure there is a joke in there somewhere by a human engineer. But I was not loaded with humor database. SI-01 Everyone, we are at the fusion casing. Time to earn that paycheck. Jason felt at home once he was back in his suit. A quick scan said everything was operating with acceptable parameters. He was glad the lizards did not make him activate the Sparagmus protocol. The multiple surgeries had left him with severe physical deficiencies, and even though his body entered a state of repair for 16 hours, there was still a lot that needed to be addressed. Fortunately, certain issues had been resolved. His lungs were back to full operational capacity, and the damaged abdominal area would hold its current state until he could get to a human facility. But the situation was tenuous at best. With too many taxons to protect in a hostile environment, the odds were not favorable and the Tereshalva were known to be sneaky. They would be making plans, and no doubt plans that involved stabbing Jason in the back at their earliest opportunity. He would have to remain vigilant to such an eventuality. Not an easy feat, but since he was the biggest threat they faced, the logical conclusion to the problem was to incapacitate him. They did not attempt that in the sickbay while he was undergoing surgery, most likely due to the threat that he had made. The most likely scenario was to buy some time or isolate him enough to minimize the loss of taxon slaves. Thus, a counter would be to surround him with taxon. Jason had gambled a lot with the sickbay request. If the ship was sophisticated enough, the entire section could be detached from the main body. He would have been in essence completely isolated, and it would have cost him dearly. But when he scanned the female lizard that had served as his courier, she did not exhibit the markers of deception, or a eureka moment. Upon entering the room, he saw that it was not structurally rigged for separation. Indeed, scans indicated that it was located centrally to the ship's frame. So how would the next attack come? He entered the mess hall with several dozen taxon now looking at him, words of encouragement and infection thrown his way. It is not typical of their species to use single words, but they learned that humans communicated that way. A simple mission had turned into a rather difficult voyage. But perhaps there was enough time to course correct and turn things around. Casimir Cascade imminent, ejecting pilot, cold call.
Jason found himself on the deck of the messel as his suit closed up and hunkered down. Soupy heated steam shooting out of the back, a terrible realization dawning upon him. They'd already made their move and had no time to act. The PA system cackled as it was activated, and a perfectly monotonous human analog voice came on. You are now locked in this compartment. Your compliance will determine if any taxon under your care live or die. Failure to comply will result in the evacuation of the atmosphere. You will no doubt survive from this time. The taxons will not. There was a pause to the left, information sinking. Remove the nano-layer suit you currently wear and prepare to be transported to the brig. You have 30 seconds. That was nowhere near enough time to punch his way out of the situation. This was a well-planned trap. He needed to buy time and prepare for his next move. With a mental command, the black nano-suit retreated into the pack between his shoulder blades. The pack detached and clattered onto the deck, a small amount of nanites burrowing into the seams and out of view. The PA crackled again. Do not make any sudden movements. The hallways are open into a path into the brig. Walk. Do not deviate. With little choice, Jason walked his naked form to the brig. One of the cells awaited open. It was facing the previous lizard captain, who gazed intently at Jason, almost in disbelief. It was rare enough to see an unarmed centurion, so he did not mind. Marcus heard the hiss of the brig's external door for a second. He could not believe his eyes. The human sans armor. How? A feat worthy of praise, but the ancestral bones was in sight to behold. Those eyes, human eyes, were always fixed on prey. It was truly something else. And yet, this demon was now caged no different than any common criminal. Not that such a predicament would hinder one such as himself. Marcus was unique, of course. Simple minds never thought far ahead, and he did not have a simple mind. He had planned for the unlikely and treacherous possibility of being behind one of the energy cells in the brig, no doubt by the most treasonous crew. A series of contingencies were in place. No doubt by now the crew believed the computer would take them homebound in what would be a boring and safe manner, believing Marcos to be short-sighted and cowardly. This misguided confidence had already spelled their inevitable defeat, and Marcus's return to his rightful position as the shipmaster. A pity the crew would not live to see its ascension, but they had lost already. Not that such minds were capable of seeing that. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one, and until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.